Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We are back to Daniel, and we are actually uh, almost at the very end of Daniel. I, I'm surprised. Like, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, wow, I really didn't think that we were going to make it through all of Daniel. Just because, you know, Daniel, it's the, the first half of Daniel is so, you know, it, it's so known. It's, a, it's, it's all of these Sunday school stories that you know growing up in church. But the second half of Daniel is the more obscure passages. Like, for example, when Elena and I were reading this, this, this chapter, chapter 10, uh, it's one of those chapters that you realize, like, have I read this before? Like, I, I, I read through the Bible a couple of times, but I don't remember having read this, this chapter. And, you know, it's probably because it's so, it seems kind of obscure. And so maybe you just, you know, fly past it. But uh, we are in chapter 10. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we are covering chapters 11 and 12. The reason we, why we're covering them together is because really chapter 10 through 12 is Daniel's final vision. Like the, the three chapters describe the final vision that Daniel received. And um, so today we're going to focus a little bit more on the introduction to this vision or the setting of the vision. And then next week, Lord willing, we, were, we will cover the content of the vision. Um, so let's pray, and then we will read Daniel chapter 10. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you that you revealed yourself to your servant, Daniel, and that these Visions and prophecies that we have recorded here are part of your word. And even though some of them are um, difficult to understand or obscure, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that what you have given us in your word is important. And I pray that you give us the understanding today. I pray that you give us the discipline to continue to study your word, setting our hearts to understand what you have revealed. Give us humility to approach your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us and that your spirit would give us understanding and wisdom and revelation. And that we would not be the same, Lord, that we would be transformed, that we would be, um, that we would be transformed closer into the likeness of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read Daniel 10. Um, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year, of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. 
In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and look and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, Oh, man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius, the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is the word of God. All right. So I think, you know, one of the, 
like, like I said, we are not going to cover the entire vision. The, the, the main content of the vision is in chapters uh, 11 and 12. This is the setting of the vision. This is how Daniel received this vision or this word from the Lord. Um, and really the, the, the vision is about, you know, about what would happen in Daniel's future. And the vision focuses on, on Persia and on Greece and, and on the conflict between those nations and, all, and more particularly the, the conflict of those nations with God's people. But today we will focus on the introduction in, in chapter 10. And really the main thing that I want us to see in this passage is that it is only through God's revelation that we can make sense of the world. It is only through God's revelation that we can make sense of the world. So notice how Daniel begins this, this you know, vision. And it says in verse 2 that he was mourning for three weeks. So at first, you know, we probably don't think much of it other than, well, you know, poor Daniel, he must have not been feeling good. But what really is odd is that this is happening. In verse 1, it says that this is happening on the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. And now, what, what is interesting about this is that during the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, the decree for the people of Israel to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple had already been issued. In other words, when Daniel received this vision, when he was mourning, when he was sad, when he was fasting, he was doing this as some people were already back in Jerusalem rebuilding the temple. In other words, the prophecy that we saw a couple of weeks ago that Daniel saw in the book of Jeremiah, that 70 years would pass and then the people of Israel would go back to, it, to Jerusalem had already been fulfilled or had already begun to be fulfilled. And so it leaves us wondering with, why was Daniel mourning? Why was he sad? If, if, if God's promise had already been fulfilled, at least part of it, and the people of Israel were already, some of them were already in Jerusalem, why was Daniel mourning? And I have, you know, I have kind of two answers. One of them is, if we are familiar with the story of the return to Jerusalem, the exiles that returned to Jerusalem, we learn right away that the return to Jerusalem was not, all that it was cracked up to be, right? They came back and immediately they faced opposition. Uh, immediately when they wanted to start rebuilding the wall and the, and the temple, they faced opposition. There was division amongst the leadership. Um, there were all sorts of bad things going on. And, and even by the end of the book of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah going almost a little bit like mad in that, you know, he's pulling people's beards and he's just angry and he's hunkered down in the temple. And this return to Jerusalem is just not ideal, right? I think I mentioned earlier that uh, when the new temple was rebuilt, those who were there that had seen the old temple, when they saw the new temple, they, what did they do? Do you remember? They wept. They cried because they knew that this new temple was nothing close to the temple that Solomon had built. And so, you know, that again, that gives us a clue that this return to Jerusalem was not it. I mean, yes, it was a fulfillment of God's prophecy to Jeremiah, but it was not the fulfillment of, you know, the greatest, or, or it was not the final fulfillment of, you know, consummation of history. And then the other thing is, even though they had returned to Jerusalem, 
they were still under the power of the Persian Empire. And, you know, based on the prophecies that Daniel received, they were going to be under the, the rule of the Greek Empire. And then based on more prophecy, they were going to be under the rule of the Romans. And then even in last chapter, in chapter 9, basically the, the, what Gabriel is revealing to Daniel is that Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple will be desecrated, right? The, the, sac- the temple where they make sacrifices to God will be desecrated. And so, you know, the more we think about it, the more we understand why Daniel is sad, why Daniel is mourning, because even though people are already back in Jerusalem, it's not it, right? It's, it's, it's not quite what he might have been expecting. The people of God is still suffering. The, 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 they are still under the authority of other people. Right, And so I think that if we want to understand God's plan, God's revelation, I think that a really good place to begin with is with mourning, with understanding that, that you know, God's big picture is oftentimes at, at, at tension with our understanding of the world, right? I think that if you see the promises in Scripture, if you see the revelation that we have received in Scripture about the kingdom of God, about salvation, about God being ruling from heaven and Jesus already seated at, at the right hand, but you also see some uh, seemingly discrepancies here on earth where you say, okay, wait a second. If God is already ruling, if Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, if God is a good God, why is there evil in the world? Right? If you have some of these questions or if you say, well, I understand that God is merciful and he wants all people to be saved, but why did my family member die without trusting in the Lord? Right? And, and again, th- you know, those are just examples, but I think all of us can identify with Daniel in, in thinking, okay, I, I think I know God's big picture from the revelation that he's given me, but I'm having a hard time reconciling reality with God's revelation. I'm having a hard time reconciling uh, uh, the fact that, you know, in Ephesians, we saw such a triumphalistic picture of the church, right? Where, the, where it says that we are in the heavenly places with Christ, but then we look at how the church is doing today, and we just wonder, like, what, what's going on, right? And it kind of makes us mourn like Daniel. But I would say if this is the type of, if this is the posture that we're coming from, I think that this is a really good start. I think that we are in good company, right? We are in the company of Daniel. We're in the company of Jeremiah. We're in the company of Paul, right? Paul himself, when he's writing in Romans, he realizes that, hey, what, what happened to God's people? What happened to my people, right? And he is mourning in a sense because even though he understands God's plan, there is still mourning about the reality of what is happening. And so that is a good place to be. This even makes me think of um, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached and is recorded in Matthew 5. Uh, and I want to read it. I want to read this, the, the, the Beatitudes. I want to read them because this really reminds me of it. It reminds me of that posture of mourning, of expectation for God to do something, for God to change the reality. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. So mourning, being in a, in a, being in a, in a place like Daniel, understanding God's will and yet mourning and, and trying to make sense of it is a good place to start. But I want to talk a little bit more about Daniel's posture to receive this revelation. And, and my hope is that all of us would see his posture, would see his attitude in receiving this revelation and that we would apply it to our lives as well. So number one, he was mourning. But then the next thing that we see or the next thing that I want to point out is his discipline, right? He wanted to understand God's will. Throughout the entire book, we see Daniel wanting to understand the will of God, wanting to understand what God had revealed to him. And it is interesting that uh, in the previous chapters, we read that Daniel did not understand, right? Do you remember in a couple of chapters before where it said that Daniel did not understand, but then we read in chapter 10 that the word was true and it was great conflict and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So Daniel persevered in wanting to understand this. I mean, we, when he received the vision, he was fasting. He did not anoint himself. That is, you know, he, he didn't clean himself up basically. So, right, if, if you see someone, if you see a friend and, you know, they haven't shaved and they haven't cut their hair, I feel like I'm describing myself, but I'm not. Uh, and, and they haven't showered, that's, that's not me. Um, you kind of start to wonder, right? Like, man, are you okay? Are you doing okay? And obviously, you know, here in, in, during these times, this fasting and this not anointing of yourself was showing that you were, instead of spending the time eating that food or washing yourself, you were studying the Word of God. You were seeking God. You were seeking Him in prayer. You were spending devoted time in prayer, really wanting to understand His will. And so he was fasting for three weeks. And he was, you know, he was doing all of these things for three weeks. He ate, not, he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for full three weeks. And then we read in verse 12, when, when the man in this vision addresses him and he says, verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand. So Daniel set his heart to understand God's will. And I think this is really instructive for us because, you know, Daniel received, a, received very difficult visions, very puzzling visions. And he didn't say, well, you know what? These are too difficult. These are kind of divisive. So I'm just going to focus on the essentials and I'm not going to worry about understanding these things. 
that's not that's not what he said, right? The reason why I'm saying that is because sometimes we take that posture of saying, well, you know, the book of Revelation is just really hard. And so I'm not going to bother studying the book of Revelation. I'm going to let someone else study it and tell me what it says. Or I'm just not going to bother with it. I'm going to focus on the essentials. But I would say everything that we have in scriptures, everything we have in the Bible has been revealed to us by God. And therefore, it should be taken seriously, right? We should set our hearts to understand God's word, not just the book of Revelation. I do agree that the book of Revelation is really difficult. Daniel is really difficult. But ultimately, we want to understand God's word. We want to understand what he has revealed to us. We want to acknowledge that if it's in his word, it was there so that we would seek to understand it, not so that we would have an attitude of indifference and say, well, you know what? This is not that important. If it's in the Bible, it's important. One of the reasons why I send an email uh, with the passage that we will be studying on Sunday is so that I am not the only one studying this passage and then bringing it to you and you hearing this passage for the first time, right? One of the reasons why I send it is so that all of us can take time to read the passage, to meditate on the passage, to pray and to ask God to reveal the meaning of the passage that we're studying to reveal it to us um, so that all of us can have understanding of God's word. But now the other side of that coin, right? So on the one hand is discipline, but the other side of that coin is humility. Again, in verse 12, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. So yes, Daniel set his heart to understand God's word. Daniel took God's revelation seriously and he took the time and the effort to study and to try to understand. But he also approached God with humility. He also understood that God is God and and Daniel is not God. He didn't approach God and said, I'm going to figure God out, right? Or I'm going to wrap my mind around God. That's impossible, right? If God is God and we can wrap our minds around God, then maybe he's not God. Maybe I'm God, right? Or, Or if I want a God that agrees with every single thing that I think, that's not a real God, right? Some people say, well, I can't believe in God because, you know, his definition of love does not agree with my definition of love. Well, but he is God and you're not. So we have to conform our minds to God's revelation of himself, right? That's approaching his word with humility. Approaching his word with humility means that we're not going to look at passages to prove our points, but we're going to look at the word of God and we're going to let the word of God transform the way we think, transform the uh, uh, the way we act. The word of God has to transform us. God himself has to transform us That's why we have to approach him with humility. And then another thing about humility, and this is not necessarily what the passage is is talking about. This is humility towards God. But I think someone who approaches God with humility will also be humble toward others. Right? If if you truly are approaching God with humility, when when he gives you understanding of something, you will not go around showing off how much you know about God, right? You will not, 
when, when you talk about the Bible, when you talk about doctrine, when you talk about things that you know, your motivation is not to show off how much you know. Your motivation is, uh, ideally, your motivation is to edify those who are around you, right? So we need to approach God's revelation with humility. Now, another thing about Daniel's posture is that he approached with prayer, right? And this is, this is kind of implicit. It's not mentioned uh, directly here in this chapter. In chapter um, 8, we do see clearly that he was praying. But here it is implicit. And again, verse 12, it says, um, Fear not, Daniel, for, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel's posture was a posture of prayer. We've been talking about prayer, right? In the, in the previous Sundays at the, at the retreat that we had, we talked about prayer. And, you know, one of the things that we really need to understand is that our prayers matter. One of the things we need to understand is that God works through our prayers, right? I truly believe that if Daniel had not prayed to receive, to receive understanding about what God is doing in the world, this word would not have come to him, right? Because this says right here, you, I'm coming to you because of your words. I'm coming to you because of the things that you were praying about. And then the next thing about Daniel's posture is that he approached God with fear. And this one was more of a reaction, right? Like I, it, it, when you have a revelation like Daniel's, Right When you have a revelation where you see a, a man made out of, that looks to be made out of different materials and appearances and, and elements and things like that, of course you're going to be scared. Right? And notice Daniel's, Daniel's response. Like First, he is so overwhelmed that he straight up falls asleep. And this is not, this is not like falling asleep because it was boring, right? Some of you may be asleep. Some of you fall asleep when I'm preaching, and that's okay. I, I'm not... I'm not thinking that I'm, you are definitely not falling asleep because, you know, because my sermon is so frightening as Daniel's revelation, right? Daniel here fell asleep because he was, he was, he fainted, right? He was so overwhelmed with God's power that he, he fainted. And then notice how, the, how he is almost like progressing, like he's making his way up through the through the you know through the ministry of of the man that appears to him, and then and then it seems like there are other like maybe angels that are that are you know one of them touches touches his lip and all of that. But notice the progression: how first he's just fainted completely, and his strength has left him, and then you know after the touch of of the man, he gets on his feet and knees, right? So that's, that's as far high as he can get. And then eventually he is told to rise up. And so he arises, but he's trembling. And then after he's told not to fear, he can't even talk. He is mute. He is so struck by this vision that he cannot even talk, right? And one of the angels has to come and touch his lips so that he can talk. And even after he talks, he's still like, I don't know what to say, right? In, in, verse, uh, in verse 19, 
uh, at the end of verse 19, basically his response is, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me, right? Like I'm going to let you speak. I don't know what to say. And so when we approach God, if we truly understand God's greatness, we will approach him with fear. We will approach him with reverence. If God truly is who he says he is, we need to approach him with fear and reverence. When we come to his word, we should not be flippant about his word. We should not be flippant about his name. We should not be flippant about him. He is God. And we should approach him with fear, with reverence, with respect. The mere fact that he is revealing himself to us is an act of wonder. And we need to approach his word and his revelation with fear. Now, the other side of that coin is the way that Daniel is addressed. Twice in this chapter, Daniel is called greatly beloved. In this vision, Daniel is called, you are greatly loved. And I think this is, this is the balance, right? If those of us who have experienced God's love and salvation, we approach him with fear. Yes, we approach him with reverence, but we can also approach him with confidence, with boldness. Like, like we saw in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Right? Nobody else gets to call God their Father. Only those who have been saved by the work of Jesus on the cross. Right? Only those of us who by mercy, by God's grace have been saved, we get to call God our Father. Because we know that we are His beloved. Because He displayed His love for us in sending His Son, Jesus, in revealing Himself to us. And so that, you know, those two are, are, are the, the, two side, the two sides of that coin, the fear and knowing that we are loved. So now that we've talked about the, the, you know, Daniel's posture to receive God's revelation, let's talk about how to make sense of the world, how to make sense of God's revelation of himself. So I'm going to give you the answer right away. The answer is that Jesus is the key to God's revelation. Jesus is the key to God's revelation. If you want to understand God's revelation, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to make sense of the world, Jesus is the key. Notice in this vision what Daniel saw. In verse 5 it says, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphas around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sounds of his words like the sound of a multitude. Does this vision remind you of another vision by someone else? Uh, okay, yeah, Isaiah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I think Ezekiel has something similar. Who else? John the Baptist, right? When he is in Patmos, 
he receives a vision almost almost exactly the same, right? In fact, I, I want to read it just for comparison. In Revelation 1, Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So this vision is so similar to the one that Daniel received, right? And so... In this passage, I believe, not everyone agrees, but I believe that Daniel is seeing a vision of Christ. He, he is seeing a vision of the pre-incarnate, that is before he became flesh, he is receiving a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. He is appearing to him. And, and, and notice how like in the other visions, yes, he is overwhelmed, but in none of them is he so, you know, distraught as, as he is in this one. In none of those is he so, you know, shaken by, by these visions. And in this one, he even addresses him as Lord. And, you know, I, I truly believe that Jesus is the one appearing to him in this vision. And he is the one explaining what's going on to him. He is the one explaining these, these visions to him. And, and again, notice how at the beginning it says that he understood. He had understanding of the vision. And so Jesus is the key to God's revelation. If you want to understand the way that the world functions, if you want to understand this story of redemption, if you want to understand the Bible, you have to do it through Jesus as God's ultimate revelation. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much more superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So 
what the author of Hebrews is saying, a long time ago, the prophets would reveal God's will to us. They would reveal God's word to us. But in these latter days, God has spoken to us. God has revealed himself to us by his son, Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story of redemption. He is the beginning and the culmination of history. All of history makes sense because of Jesus. And thus, if you want to make sense of the world, you have to accept God's greatest revelation, which is his son, Jesus. We will talk a little bit more about the, you know, the, the, the content of the rest of the vision next week. But one thing that I, want, that I want to point out right now is that there are a lot of, there, there are a lot of mysteries in this chapter and the following chapter. I mean, one of the most interesting things is this idea of, you know, the king of Persia and Michael and, you know, some angels are thrown in. And, and so what do we make of all of that? And these are a couple of things that, that I want us to understand. One of them is that the world is a lot more complex than we realize. Right? The world, the universe, reality is extremely complex. I mean, I can tell you of at least, or I can tell you of three um, agents in, in the world. One of them is God, right? God is sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. He is king over everything. But then we have another agent, which is mankind, right? Humans. And we don't really understand how God as a free agent, as sovereign, as perfect, as the writer of history, how he interacts with human will, with human responsibility, right? Like e even here, like he's talking about the nation of Persia, the nation of Greece, and, and he's talking about all of these kings and kingdoms that are doing, you know, things in history. And so we have those two agents, right? We have God, we have mankind, and we don't know exactly how those two are, you know, interact together, how they are compatible, but we know that they are, right? Because the world exists today. But then to that, we could add a third agent, which is heavenly beings, right? Heavenly creatures, angels, demons, and, and things of the sort. And in this passage, one of the things that we realize is that the course of, or, or the events in human history are somewhat influenced by heavenly beings, by angels, right? In this case, when he's talking about the prince of Persia, it is not referring to a human king. It is referring to an angel that seems to be in charge of the, the, the Persian empire. And then when it talks about Michael, it's talking about an angel who seems to be in charge of assisting God in protecting his people. And then if we take Jesus to be the, the main character in this vision, then we see that Jesus himself, God, is protecting his people. And so why do I bring all of this up? Well, number one, just to say that if your view of the, if you feel extremely confident about your understanding of how the world functions, let me tell you that your view might be a little too simplistic, right? Because what we see in this chapter and in this book and really in the Bible is that the world is a very complex place. But then what we see as well is that God is protecting his people 
and fighting for them. Right? We see that events transpire in human history. Nations rise and fall and great empires rise and fall. But God is the one who is protecting his people. Right? Think about it. For Daniel, this, was, this is meant to be a word of encouragement because he's thinking about how the Persians are going to, are, are, you know, or the people of Israel are under the control of the Persians. The Greeks are going to come and they're going to persecute God's people. The Romans are going to come and they're going to persecute God's people. And here God is telling Daniel, I am the one protecting my people. And even though these world empires are rising and falling, I am still with my people. And that should be extremely encouraging to us because we don't know what the fate of, of our country is. We don't know the fate of human history in terms of nations rising and falling. We don't know which angel is, you know, moving to, or representing a certain nation or empire. But we do know that for God's people, for us, for the church, we know that God is the one protecting us. God is the one fighting for us. And yes, it doesn't mean that we will not experience persecution. It doesn't mean that we will not experience uh, apparent earthly defeat. But we know that God is the one in control and he is the one protecting us. And then the other thing is that God reveals his plan to us so that we would not be afraid, so that we would have peace, so that we would be strong and courageous, right? In verse 19, Daniel is told, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. God reveals his will to us so that we would be encouraged. Not so that we would be scared or, or you know, so that we would be frightened and go hide because of the events of the world today, but so that we would be strong and encouraged. In knowing that our God is protecting us, in knowing that our God is victorious, in knowing that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, in knowing that God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. I think we're going to stop here. Sorry for the rough landing. Uh, but I think we're going to stop here and then we will, we will tackle chapters 11 and 12. So let's pray. God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have spoken to us through him. I pray that all of us would come to him and trust him and, and try to make sense of the world around us with Jesus as the hero and as the center of history. God, thank you that you are protecting us. Thank you that you are with us. You are the one in charge of protecting your people. God, we pray. We praise you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name.